We're doing this uh, series for Lent. Uh, I titled the series, A Long Walk, Jesus' Long Walk to the Cross. Uh, and today uh, we want to look in at uh, Lent a little more and uh, look at what is it that we should be focusing on? How do we get prepared for Easter? What's the benefit of making some uh, spiritual effort to prepare for Easter? Uh, much like, you know, if I'm going to go on a, a long car journey, I typically uh, get a little frantic uh, to make sure that the tire pressures are good and there's oil in the car and uh, wheels are balanced and, you know. Uh, but how do you prepare uh, for, for a journey or for something? Uh, you know, it's like school, you go along week to week and then all of a sudden it's exam time and then it's cram time and and you prepare in a hurry, and now, now all of a sudden everything's urgent. Or when I was in the military, you know, it's going through basic training, and you, you know, you just like blah blah blah, run here, do that, march there, and then we got put on the front lines, and we heard, you know, bullets being fired, and and all of a sudden now you're like intently trying to clean your rifle, and how does this thing work exactly anyway? And you know, there's a sense of urgency to everything because, yeah, the time is now. And in a similar way, uh, you know, Jesus was constantly uh, communicating to his disciples and saying, okay, this is uh, a different lifestyle that he was talking about. And uh, they, he was demonstrating a lot uh, to the disciples. But then it became crunch time. It, it, like Jesus now walking towards Jerusalem, and he knows that he's got the crucifixion uh, awaiting for him. And uh, it's now there's a sense of urgency. And you, the disciples don't <clears throat> fully catch it. I mean, they get that it's getting urgent, but the intensity of the moment uh, Jesus is trying to relate to them. So he's also talking to them about things which are really important. He's saying like, okay, you, you really have to get this. And so I want to look at uh, some of that uh, today. But also in the book of Ecclesiastes, in fact, I should probably just read this. There's a wonderful classic uh, chapter here, chapter 3, on there's a time for everything. And uh, some of what it's saying is a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away. And likewise, as we build up towards Easter, uh, there's a sense where timing or the season is lending itself for preparing ourselves for the cross. Uh, it's always a, a, a tension for us because, and Jesus ex felt the same tension as well. It's like when he was serious, people say you're just joking around. And, you know, when he's joking around, it's like you should be serious. And uh, in the same way, when we're building up towards Easter, there's a time where we should take some time and reflect and meditate and maybe it feels a little uh, down or uh, repentant or maybe some people would say it's even negative but you know if you just want to have party 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 it that doesn't sustain you either or saying it in a worse way if you try and party at a funeral it doesn't really go that great and if it's a wedding that's not a time to get into serious debate and argue with people you know there's seasons where you just like 
do the right thing. I mean, just be appropriate. And so we got this incredible party coming up uh, on, on Resurrection Sunday, Easter, which is just so exciting. But the build-up is not that exciting. Uh, there's a time for preparing and reflecting and, and cleaning house. And, and so this is uh, what we use Lent for, is to go deeper and to uh, reflect on what it is that's coming our way. Uh, the other thing, we shouldn't be unprepared. Uh, life constantly has ch turns and changes that uh, catch us unprepared. And uh, our faith in the Lord should be something which is consistent in good times and in bad times. But often it's during uh, the down times or the difficult times or the serious times that our faith grows. It's when we have challenges. All of a sudden we've got an illness that we didn't expect and it can be really serious. Uh, you know, now it's like, okay, where's your value system? What's important to you? Uh, so there, there's just seasons that we go through that we want to be prepared for and uh, that's what I want to look at uh, today. So uh, really what I'm asking you to get out of my message here is the ability to stop or to slow down uh, with the idea of saying, God, what is it that you're doing in my life? What is it that you're doing around me? What is it, Lord, that you want me to take notice of? And unless we can, you know, increase our awareness to listen, if we just keep going with the busyness and the hecticness of our schedule, it's very hard to ask that question and to then be able to respond to that question because God is always doing stuff in your life and around us. But are we sensing that? Are we attuned to that? So let me just ask um, the Lord to be here with us in a significant way. Holy Spirit, I just invite your presence move in us. Uh, we just ask, Lord, that uh, you would transform us, that we would understand what it is that you want us to be doing or changing or how are you trying to encourage us? Or what is it that you want us to take notice of? And so, Lord, I, I just ask that uh, you would draw people to yourselves today, people that might not know you, or people that feel distant from you, or people that feel upset or hurt, uh, that you'd heal and restore. Lord, that your love would cover what we're doing as we build up to Easter. In your name, Jesus. I've titled my, ser my uh, sermon today, unusual title perhaps, Say What, Be What, Do What. Uh, somebody asked me this morning, uh, what's the title of your sermon? I said, Say What? <laughs> and they said, well, No, what's the title of your sermon? I said, Say What? Well, you know, it's like the, the disciples, I felt like they kept like saying to Jesus, like, Say What? What, what did you say? What are you asking me to do? You, you know, they just like never got it. It's like, What do you want me to be? And Jesus, this is what I'm telling you. This is what I'm saying. It's very clear. It's plain. Say what? Do what? Be what? So I, I want to look at that, and I want to look at it in uh, Luke chapter uh, 17. And I'm going to go in reverse order in the in the chapter, and I'll explain it in in a bit. But the first uh, part of this is. Uh, the disciples were constantly trying to figure out the kingdom. But it wasn't just the disciples, it was also the religious leaders. So uh, what was going on was this, and it's still going on today, by the way. Uh, people are saying, 
when is the Messiah going to come? So if you're Jewish or you've got a Jewish uh, a family, that's still the question today. When is the Messiah going to come? And, uh, or saying it in different language, it would be, when is the kingdom going to come? And with that is people's own expectations of what that's going to look like and what life would look like if the Messiah was here. And, uh, you know, so picking it up on Luke chapter 17, verse 20. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Okay, so here's the classic question, and your Jewish friends would be asking a similar question. When's the Messiah going to come? Uh, or in this case, uh, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God can't be de detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Okay, so the Pharisee is probably thinking this way. He is a religious ruler, and he's thinking, man, when, when we get this, the Messiah or the kingdom of God comes, uh, there'll be like a ruler in Jerusalem, and uh, it'll be obvious that this place will be like under the, the protection of God, it'll be the stronghold, and it'll just be so great. Uh, it'll be back to the days of of David or Solomon, and it was just obvious that God was protecting, and we're looking for that again. And Jesus says to him, oh, no, 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 it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be like here, or it's not going to be there. Uh, and the guy's obviously like, say what? Say what? What, what? The kingdom of God, like, what is it going to be like? And then Jesus says, well, it's a, the kingdom of God is already among you. Well, clearly because he was referring indirectly to saying, Hello, I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm already among you. You like looking for me in the wrong places or you're expecting the wrong things. You need to reorientate your life to what and who I am, who Jesus, who Jesus is. And so the, the rest of the chapter then unfolds about the kingdom of God in the future when Jesus will return. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's making his way towards the cross. And now he's trying to answer all these big questions. One of the questions he's trying to answer is, okay, what is it going to look like when I come again, when I return? And he un, un, you know, unfolds this, this next section. And basically he's saying, look, people are going to be partying and carrying on and like, just like they are now. And there'll be no change in the atmosphere or in the mood. And then suddenly I'm going to reappear. Just like Noah, and he uses that example. It's like, you know, just, people just partying, going on. And so we get this warning from Jesus, like, okay, be ready. We, we don't know when he's going to come again. And he's telling this, obviously, before he's even uh, being crucified. He's, he's building up uh, to this. So one of the challenges, and I've been, I, I, for some reason, this Lent season, I found myself using this phraseology for myself first and for a lot of people that I've been speaking to. And that is this. How do we get better and not bitter? And I'm not that fantastic. I stole that phrase from, I think, Rick Warren when I first heard it. But it just resonated with me. And uh, when we have challenges in our life, our tendency without God or even with God is to get bitter. We, we get angry. Um, 
in this particular case, what uh, God is saying to this, um, this Pharisee is, look, don't miss it. Don't get angry. Don't lose the situation. Don't get bitter because he knew that this guy probably wasn't going to believe in him. But in a similar kind of a way with us, when God doesn't do the thing that we expect him to do, you know, we think, okay, mate, God's going to heal. I know if I just pray and I fast and I believe, God will heal me or, you know, my friends, my family or whatever. In my case, he'll do it. And then God doesn't. And then there's a tendency to get bitter. Uh, or, you know, we believe, man, if I just, like, do this thing financially, God will just, like, bless me. And, and then he doesn't. And then you get bitter. Uh, or you could have a different attitude. You could say, God, what are you saying to me? You are you. And I need to learn from this situation. And uh, we always have this choice. It's a choice of faith. It's like, how do we move forward? How do we grow in our pain? And Lent is this time period where either we see the pain around us, or we self-inflict the pain by fasting and saying, okay, I'm going through discomfort. It's not exactly pain, but discomfort, so that we can increase our senses to what God is doing, so that we can grow. And we grow much more during pain than what we do when everything's just going great. It's just, it's just always been a Christian reality. But the challenge for us is when things don't make sense. The kingdom of God, in this case, couldn't understand it. Uh, when God doesn't do what you expect Him to do. When believers don't do what you expect Him to do. How do you get better and not bitter? How do you... How do you take those pieces and say, God, I'm, this, this really upsets me, but I choose to lean into you and into your love. I, I'm trying to learn from this. And when we have that response, God teaches us so much, so much. So uh, let me uh, move backwards then into this uh, Luke uh, chapter 17. And the next question uh, the disciples might have been asking is, what do you want me to be? Be what? What is it that you're exactly asking me to do and be? And uh, Jesus uh, says in this section, moving backwards, I want you to be my servant. And you say, wow, that, that, that's pretty, like, not the great, best, of, you know, promotional way of recruiting people, saying, okay, uh, and you think, like, what's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for me. You be my servant. Now here's a section you don't hear a lot of people preach on a lot. <laughs> this is <laughs> for, for good reason. In a way, I suppose. Uh, Luke 17, 7 through 10. When a servant came in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now, doesn't that just warm you? I mean, doesn't that... All right, sign me up. I just want to be a servant. Nobody's going to thank me. I'm just going to be like exhausted. And then, you know, I mean, this is the Lord speaking. 
But you can understand that the disciples saying, like, what do you want me to be? You know, I wanted to sit at your right hand side. And, you know, I thought I'd be like famous like you. And can I hang out with you? And, and Jesus saying, nah, like be my servant. And uh, so, of course, there's this whole uh, uh, double take. And again, you know, we can get really bitter. Uh, and we can get bitter in church. Like you can serve and serve and serve and feel like you don't get appreciated. Uh, and that's not a good thing. You should be appreciated. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, God is asking us to check our heart and saying, what is it that we are motivated by? And the only reason we become servants of God is because we've already experienced the incredible love that God has for us and what he's done for us and what he is doing for us. And uh, our righteous response for that would be, Lord, I, I'm just your servant. How can I serve you? I'm not asking for any more. You've already done so much for me. It's like, I just want to respond. And a servant is a good response. And then you see the Apostle Paul. It was so evident. He loved this title because it was such a different type of a kingdom. You know, up until Paul was converted, he was just on the classic path, which so many of us are in. It's like, how do I get promoted? How do I get to the top? How do I become a winner? You know, and everything in everything we do is just like competitive. I mean, you play if your grandkid is, you know, three years old and you're still trying to win. You know, it's like, it just have to, it's just like crazy. It's like, what's up with that? Yeah, uh, and so God is saying, once we've responded to him, he's saying, wait a bit. We can also just be his servant out of just gratitude. We don't need to get uh, so competitive all the time. Uh, we can let God be God and let God uh, rule over us and be ahead of us. Uh, I've got a cartoon here for you to uh, look at, and uh, uh, I'll read it to you. It says, what the fishermen disciples didn't say. He says, I'm busy with my net right now. Can I follow you on Twitter? You know, this is our sort of response today. Jesus saying, look, I want you to follow me. And we say, yeah, 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 but later, you know, or some other way, or, you know, let me sort out my nets first, you know, let me finish my business. It was my lame, you know, claim. It's like, God, oh, you've got better things to do. When I'm 65, I'm, I'm, I'm available for, for ministry, but not until then. You know, we just got like these lame excuses. Uh, and God is just saying, no, no, I want you to follow me. And you say, well, can you explain it all to me? Do I know what that looks like? Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. Just just follow me. He said, well, that's very you know, insecure. How's this going to work out? I mean, what do you mean follow me? And we just have a load of questions. And uh, we just, you know, hesitate to follow God. And yet the interesting thing is, you know, most of the time Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't say, well, okay, I'm going to make you an apostle and uh, you're going to hang out with me and uh, then you're going to you know, be the, the sort of the source, the starting point for churches and you go all over the world. And they're like, wow, I get that vision. Sign me up. I, I just, you know, without a vision, I just like perished. Now you're giving me the vision. Like, I'm into it. No, Jesus is like, no, nope, just, just follow me. Just follow me. And it's a test. What's the test? The test is a test of faith. Like, is Jesus good enough? Can we believe him? Is he dependable? And when we build up to Easter, uh, you know, this test that the disciples went through, of course, 
we this side of the resurrection, we this side of the crucifixion. But building up to the crucifixion, I mean, the disciples were so confused. All their thoughts of what Jesus was doing and how he was going to do it and what the kingdom was going to look like and what their part in the kingdom was going to look like, it all got shattered. And so you got to figure out, what is it, God? Be what? What is it you want me to do? You know, Lord, you're saying things. Say what? Be what? You know, what is it that, that you're asking me to do? And I think God is asking us the same question uh, today. He's asking us, uh, when he talks about the kingdom, he's saying, look, grapple with it. Uh, you've got to, it's here, it's close, I'm here. You, you've got to lean into this. You've got to put some effort into it. And when he's saying, you know, follow me, uh, again, there's a little bit of effort that goes into it. It's like, I don't, it's not all clear. No, it's not. And Jesus is saying, I want you to live by faith. And when you do live by faith, then our relationship becomes a lot stronger because you become dependent on me. When you're not living by faith, you become dependent on you. And God said, no, I want you to be dependent on me, not dependent on you. And then moving back into this uh, chapter 17, uh, God asks us to do some things. And when we think about it, we say, you're asking us to do what? I mean, this is not like the obvious. I mean, we've, the scriptures become familiar to us, but God is asking us to do two things. And I want to start with the first one, to forgive. So in Luke uh, chapter 17, uh, 3b in the middle of uh, the third verse, it says, If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. You must. You must forgive. And this is just so countercultural. It's just so against our nature. And I tell you, I've seen Christians come up with all sorts of gymnastics to figure this verse out. It's like, yeah, I'll forgive, but they didn't really repent. Oh, okay. Uh, Jesus just says you need to forgive. No, no, uh, they weren't really sincere in what they were saying. You just need to forgive. No, they don't really understand how much they've hurt me. Oh, really? Okay, you need to forgive. And this just like irks us because it is just so like non-human logic. And yet what God is saying is there's such incredible freedom for you when you do forgive. And so this is like a, a, really, a, a really big deal. And uh, in the parallel verse, probably more uh, well known than than the one I just read, uh, forgive somebody seven times a day, would be the one in Matthew. Uh, then Peter came to the Lord. How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And so I've got another great cartoon here. We've got this all figured out. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And you've got the person of a great option. Not only do I have to forgive my brother, now I have to do math. I'm just like, just like, so confused. Like, 
seven times, 77 times, seven times a day. Like, how does this work? And all right. Yeah, look, this is, this is part of the freedom that we get uh, when we walk with the Lord. The Lord is giving us a way of getting rid of poison that comes to us when people uh, fail us or hurt us or uh, we don't respond the way people think we should respond. Uh, God is saying we must forgive. The starting point for getting better for you is that you forgive. Um, you know, the most, uh, well, I'll come to this as we do, uh, we do communion, but, you know, God was forgiving. He was forgiving to his own disciples. Uh, he, he was forgiving to each one of us. Uh, he was incredibly uh, willing to overlook our past errors, our current errors, our future errors. You know, we are not perfect people and never will be. And yet God is saying, I love you. I love you. And we need to have that same uh, godly response in a sense where God is saying, I, you know, I forgive you. You need to forgive others. Uh, and we need to stop uh, battling with, with, that, uh, with that command that God asks us to do. And, you know, it's not to trivialize how painful the pain is. The pain is very painful. But God is saying us, this is what you must do. And you, we say, do what? Yes, forgive. We need to forgive. We need to forgive. And if we don't, uh, we just get bitter. We get uh, bitter if we don't forgive, and we get better when we do. And, uh, you know, our responsibility is what we need to do. What the other person needs to do is a whole different factor. That the Lord can work with them. And it's not to say that when you forgive somebody, I've said this uh, before, that you now trust them. You just need to forgive them. The trust will come, I mean, especially if you're dealing with somebody that's got, you know, bad habits, you know, alcoholic or dealing with pornography problems or, you know, it, 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 trust is a whole different thing. But forgiveness, we need to forgive. Now, trust, we build up trust as people become trustworthy. The last one I want to uh, finish on, and this is the reason why I've taken this whole uh, chapter 17 back to front because uh, I don't like leaving on a downer. You know, it's like you get so serious and somber. It, sometimes it's kind of nice just to leave on a up, you know. And so I like this uh, story. This has been preached on a lot. This is a very popular one. And uh, God is asking us uh, to be thankful. So we say, do what? We forgive. Do what? Be thankful. Now, this popular scripture, which uh, you, many of you are very familiar with, is the story of the healing of the ten lepers. Let me just read it to you, starting in verse 11. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem. Okay, we're moving on. He's getting towards the cross. We, he reached the border town between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed with, of their leprosy. Now, I just want to point out something here as we, this is like a whole other sermon topic, so this is a whole rabbit trail, but I want to point it out while it's here because I think this is pertinent. When we are asking the Lord for healing, 
And when we are praying for people to be healed, this verse is actually quite helpful because what Jesus does is he says, okay, go and go to the priests and they'll sort you out whether you've been healed of leprosy. But when did they actually get healed? They only got healed once they responded to God. In this particular story, and it's a helpful story, they got healed as they went. And often with some of our healings, like we'll pray for God and we just say, God, I care, you know, I want you to heal me now instantaneously, and, and often God does. But often it's only when we respond in faith to God, and as we go, then we, that, that response is a faith statement. These lepers could, could easily have said, who the heck are you anyway? And what am I going to go to the leading priest? The priest is always like giving us a hard time. i got leprosy. I'm not going to go make a fool of myself in front of the priest. I mean, heal me first. And if I'm perfectly healed, then I'll go to the, the priest. Let me just read it again. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Okay, they still got leprosy. Go and show yourselves to the priests. This is, you know, we know that faith is involved in healing. And here's a good example. And then as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. But that's actually not the point of the story. So it's just a rabbit trail. Let me just get back to the point of the story. One of them, as they saw he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Uh, you know, I... I feel that you, many of you are represented by the one that have come, has come back. Uh, you know, I think we have a church of people that their general, your general response has been, thank you, Jesus. And it's, it's, it's truly encouraging. I mean, some of you have gone through like awful stuff and difficult situations, and yet your heart response has been one of thanks and thanksgiving, and I love Jesus, and Jesus is going to get me through no matter what. And there's a sense that I'm going to stick with Jesus. I don't care how difficult the circumstance. I don't care if I don't understand it. I don't care if nobody else understands it. My trust and my faith is in Jesus, not in my own strength, not in my own smarts, not in my own money, not in my connections, not in my parents' connections, but in Jesus. And there's a lot of you. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you're saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. And you'll know as well as I do. There's many of your friends or other people that call themselves Christians, you know, out there somewhere. They're not giving thanks. They don't see the good. They just see the problems. And it's just, you know, problem here, problem. But you guys have, you know, pressed in. It's like, and I'm just proud of you for, for you guys that have said, you know, none others got healed. No thanks. Just go away. And what I want to finish with here is this idea of developing an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of being thankful. It's not that easy to do. Uh, you know, I've tried to make, in my own personal life, I've tried to like, okay, before I go home, I want to just take a few minutes and reflect, like, what are the things I can be thankful for today? I can't tell you how difficult that is. Not because it's 
difficult to find things to be thankful for. It's difficult to take like one minute and just like focus on this because you know I'm late, I'm running, I've got to be for dinner, I've got another meeting, it's like I've got 20 things to do. I don't feel like sitting down right at this moment in time. My head's going in a different direction to sit down, stop, and give thanks. It's just very difficult to do. Uh, and again, I think the best time to do it is in the evening. I, I, for me, it should be in my drive home. I mean, switch the radio off and just like, Rob, just focus on the things that you want to be thankful for. It's a great discipline. I just wish I could do it. I'm, I'm working at trying to do it. I'm trying to get better at it. But, you know, give thanks. And, you know, for you folks that still have young kids, you know, before you read them the bedtime story, like, Ask him, what was the best part of the day today? And like, let the kids think about the good stuff. Let them get a habit of giving thanks. And so as we go through this Lenten period, no matter what difficulties we're going through, uh, can we develop you know, an attitude of, Lord, I want to give thanks. Uh, and the thing that's so exciting when we do this is we now start seeing all the good. We see the good in people. We see the people that have you know, helped us and sacrificed and, and gone above and beyond and the people that just serve. And, and once you start focusing on this, it, your heart becomes warmed. Uh, if you only focus on the problems, which is so human nature-like, but if we can break that cycle and start seeing the things we want to be thankful for on a routine, regular basis, uh, it's really helpful. And as... Jesus is walking towards the cross. He's healing these lepers. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, get this trait. Sort this out in your life. Have an attitude where you're just grateful and there's gratitude in what you're doing. This is really important. This is like you know, one of those lessons that Jesus is saying we really need to grasp. So say what? The kingdom of God is among you. Grasp hold of it. God is asking us to grasp hold of it. Be what? Be Jesus' servant. Uh, God is asking you to go and make a difference for Him, for the Lord. Be a servant. Make a difference in this world, in your home place, your workplace. Make a difference. Do what? Both forgive and give thanks. Why don't we have the worship team uh, come on up? Uh, Jesus, we just uh, acknowledge that, like the disciples, we would like to ask you different questions or go in a different direction than the direction that you're often leading each one of us in our lives. And you are speaking and to each one of us. You're doing things around each one of us. Uh, there are things that you're asking us to grasp and do and reach out. There's parts of our life where you're asking us to become more like a servant and less like a, uh, I don't know, prima donna. And Lord, there's aspects in our life where we're saying we need to forgive. We need to just uh, let go. And Lord, there's always the desire where you're asking us to put our eyes on you and to give thanks, thanks to you, for all you've done in our lives and what you are doing around us. So Lord, I just pray that uh, as we go into worship, you would allow our hearts, Lord, to be molded by you. Lord, you'd break our bad habits. You'd allow us to be transformed, to become more like you. We just thank you for the freedom, Lord, 
and the joy that you said is set before us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.